Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Next Sunday, we're going to begin a study through Philippians and the joy of life uh, and the joy in the Lord. But today, I want us to look at Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. And it's a passage that you have heard before, you're familiar with. Now, it happened as they went that he, that's Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. That's how she said it, too. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. We're two friends, Bill and Tom. We're drinking coffee in one of those all-night cafes. It was late at night. They got to discussing about some different words, and they were trying to talk about the difference between irritation and aggravation and exasperation. Now, if you were trying to define that, how would you do it? Well, Bill got an idea. He said, Tom, I'm going to show you an example of irritation. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. He just dialed a random number. And the phone rang, and it rang, and it rang, and it rang, and finally, a sleepy voice on the other end said, hello. And Bill said, may I speak to Ralph? And the person said, there's nobody here by that name, and hung up the phone. And Bill said, that's irritation. An hour later at 2 o'clock, he said, now I'm going to show you what aggravation is. Dialed the same number phone rang and rang and rang, and finally somebody said, hello. He said, may I speak to Ralph? This time a person said, I told you, nobody here by Ralph. Please look up the number and hung up the phone. Another hour passed. He said, now I'm going to show you what exasperation is. Dial the same number. It rang and rang, and a voice on the end said, hello. And Bill said, this is Ralph. Have I had any calls? <laughs> we live in a day when people are filled with anxiety. In fact, somebody said this is the age of the pill. A pill to perk you up and a pill to calm you down. One man asked his friend, how do you feel today? He said, I don't know. I forgot which pill I took. The dictionary definition of anxiety is a painful or apprehensive uneasiness of mind 
usually over an approaching or an anticipated ill. It's the racing of our emotional motors. Even when we don't realize we've got our foot on the brake. Anxiety is fear. It's restlessness. It's frustration. It's tension. Now, this passage is familiar to you, and many times we have nicknamed them. Mary is the contemplative one, and Martha is the can-do activist, or at least that's how they've been portrayed over the years. In fact, I saw one person that named one of them Meatloaf Martha and the other one Meditating Mary. (laughs) It's also interesting that during the Middle Ages, that this passage was used to defend having monasteries. They would use this passage and say, it's more blessed and spiritual to spend all your time praying than it is to work down in the village and support a family. And then the reformer Martin Luther came along and started interpreting Scripture where the common person could understand it and realize that salvation comes through faith and not through the church. And the first thing that he did as a leader was to do away with the monasteries that were... And and Martin Luther was a monk when he did all of that. And then he married a former nun and and began to tell people that you can live for the Lord in your vocation. It's okay. Being in a monastery didn't make you more spiritual than anyone else who knows Jesus Christ. Well, here we have two ladies that obviously are on on two different demeanors when it comes to this passage. And I want us to look at them as an example quickly. First of all, you're going to notice what I call a panicked life. It's Martha. Now, in verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? And of, and of course, the Lord spoke to her. Martha was, had a highly commendable character. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse, excuse me, John chapter 11, verse 5, it says that Jesus loved Martha. I mean, she's a, she's a wonderful person. She's not a tyrant. She is a person that Jesus loved. She had the gift of hospitality. A couple of things that you mentioned about her that we can conclude. First of all, notice her activities. She was distracted from much serving. Now, in the East, the Middle East especially, hospitality was and still is the norm, the cultural norm. It's a mark of, that actually followed into the early church. The early church talked about being hospitable to one another, and we understand what that is, especially in West Texas. I, I love the hospitality of West Texas people. And so Jesus comes to Martha's home, and Martha knows him and welcomes him into her home, and she immediately begins to try to fix a meal to, to feed Jesus, and, and, and she begins working there. I want to talk to you about her strong points. She was a giving person. She was entertaining Jesus and the Twelve. She was hospitable and giving. She was courageous because by this time, it's now dangerous to associate with Jesus. Because there were already plots to kill Jesus, and anybody that was associated with Jesus would kind of put themselves in danger. And so to welcome Jesus into her home, that was a courageous thing to do. She was obviously a caring person. Mary, her sister, and her brother Lazarus lived with her. 
And so she cared for them, and, and she loved other people, and she is ministering to them, helping whomever and wherever she could. And so she's got some strong points. But the Scripture tells us, Luke tells us that she was distracted, which means to be drawn into different directions. Now, I want to call your attention in verse 39 to the word also. It said, Mary, who also sat at the feet of Jesus and heard him. What does that tell you? It tells you that Martha also has sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to him. She wasn't one of these people that didn't care about what Jesus said. It's just at this moment, she was distracted. She got so burdened and so weighted down and so tired and fatigued, so pressured and so tense that she lost sight of who she was talking to and who was in her home, and she became aggravated and critical of others who were not helping. And the Bible says she approached Jesus. Now, you and I wouldn't think anything about the word approach, but in the Greek New Testament, it comes from two different words, which means to stand are over. I mean, it comes from the word over and to stand, which means to stand over somebody or to place yourself above them, above them. And, and now think about it. They didn't have a dining room suit and they weren't sitting in chairs. Probably had a mat or table and Jesus was probably reclining and also Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And so Martha comes up and stands over him and starts giving him orders. She's going to order Jesus around. Can, first of all, can you picture Jesus? out? He's kind of reclining and, and visiting and talking and all that, and Martha comes standing over and stands over him. It kind of changes everything, doesn't it? Let me ask you this. You ever ordered Jesus around? Yeah. You ever tell God what to do? God, if I were you, this is what you need to do. Well, thank the Lord you're not God. She's feeling the burden of pulling off supper. And all of a sudden, all the pressure blows up, and she accuses Jesus of not caring. She comes up and stands over him and says, don't you even care? And the way it's said is about like that. And then she commands Jesus, tell her to help me. Because the verb is a command. She's issuing a command to Jesus. Now, she's apparently aware that Mary's not going to listen to her if she asks her directly. So she goes straight to Jesus, figuring that Mary will, not only, listen, will, will only listen to Jesus. Now, that kind of leads us into the other characteristics that's mentioned about her, her anxiety or many things. And Jesus says, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Who wouldn't be? I mean, Martha's in the kitchen looking for dishes and silverware that match and glasses that didn't come from a jelly jar. And Jesus, all he wants to do is rest and visit. And the word worried or anxious means pulled in two. And the word troubled means to be disturbed, agitated, in turmoil, stirred up, ruffled. And Jesus says, you, you're troubled about many things. In other words, it's not just the meal. 
You see, we can only guess what other matters that Martha might have been troubled about. We don't know for sure, maybe, with things going on in the community. Who knows what he was going on? It is interesting that Thomas Kepler tells about a group of 104 psychologists who years ago made a study of their cases, and they determined a timetable for anxiety. At 18, we worry about ideals. At 20, we worry about appearance. At 23, about morals. At 26, about making a good impression. At 30, about salary and the cost of living. At 31, about business success. At 33, about job security. At 41, about loss of ambition. And over 45, about health. And all of this worrying is useless. It's not anything you can do. People worry over all kinds of things. People worry over religion. Back in the Middle Ages, there were the prophets of doom said that judgment was going to happen in Jerusalem. And the Pope made an edict and said, you would be forgiven if they would go on a crusade to Jerusalem. They would be forgiven. 500,000 people died as a result of the Crusades. Isn't it interesting that fear is still a major motivation in religion? I mean, think about it. All religions, with the exception of Christianity, are afraid something's going to happen to them. They try to appease their God, little g, God. They're afraid that when they die, they're hoping. They're, they live in fear and anxiety. I've got some great news for you. You don't have to live that way because, first of all, we're not here about religion. We're here about a relationship with Jesus. And there's a total difference. Religion makes you afraid. You better do this or this is going to happen to you. You better do this or this is going to happen. Now, there are consequences to rejecting Jesus Christ, obviously. But that's a warning from God saying, I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to bring you into the kingdom, into my family, but you're not listening to me. But there's so many religions today, they are terrified. A lot of people are afraid of what's going on in society. The place is crumbling around us. Our nation is deteriorating. Let me tell you something. We know too much, and half of it isn't true. I've been, I've been hearing the end of the world coming as long as I can remember. And that's a long time. Hadn't happened yet. Yeah, things are different. I don't say we're any better. But I've read Revelation. I know how the world's going to end. And I know if we're going to be here or not. And I'm not planning on being here because I believe the Lord's going to take us out before that time. And I'm not saying that you stick your head in the sand and don't worry about society and voting and things of that nature. But listen to me. If you listen to all these talk shows and you listen to all this news and all these talking heads on television, you are going to have major anxiety. A lot of people are afraid of the future. You can't enjoy today or you can't enjoy this week for what you're afraid of next week. George MacDonald said, no man ever sank under the burden of the day. It's when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. 
And that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, after talking about don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat, the Lord's going to take care of you. He says in verse 34, Matthew 6, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Martha is an example of anxiety. She's out of focus. And she reaches a boiling point, and that's why she bursts in on Jesus. The word approach denotes an explosive act. Tell Mary to help me. Notice Jesus did not condemn her busyness. He called her distracted. He said, Martha, you are troubled. You are worried and troubled. You're not in the right focus right now. She not only was distracted, she was distressed, she was distraught. And let me tell you, whenever you take your eyes up off the Lord, the life point is this. Life becomes frenzied and frustrating when you don't focus on Jesus. The more that you have Jesus in your eyes, the smaller the other problems are going to look. Now, the other example is Mary. We, I call her a prioritized life. She's got her priorities right. The word Mary is Miriam in the Hebrew, and she's very commendable. She's chosen the most important thing, which is to sit with Jesus for a moment. Notice several things about her. First of all, her awareness. She knew who was in the house. It wasn't Elvis. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the building. She, she said, I have the opportunity to spend time with Jesus. And I'm going to. Isn't it amazing how today people won't take the time to come spend a little moment with the Lord? They're so busy. They don't have time to go to church. Or they've been hurt somewhere down the road by somebody, some knucklehead in church. And so they say, I don't need the church. Yeah, you do. You don't need anything the church can give you, but you need to come in the presence of the Lord and worship for a few moments because you're then aware of who's in the house. I mean, we've been singing about Jesus today. She's also aware of her acceptance. Notice the posture. In those days when a person would sit at the feet of someone, it showed that they, that one was the teacher, you were the student, one was the mentor, one was the discipler or the, or the, or the disciple. And, and, and basically Mary is submitting to the Lord's authority. She, is, she says she sat and she listened. I'll tell you something that's amazing. If you've ever done public speaking, it doesn't take you long to look around and know who's not listening to you. You mean you can see me? I can see every one of you. <laughs> and I know when you're not listening. I'm not stupid. And I was born at night, but not last night. Listen. It says Mary heard him. How many times did Jesus say, if a man has ears to hear, let him hear? 
You see, some people can come into the presence and, and never really listen to Jesus. But Jesus knew, I mean, she, Mary knew that Jesus accepted her. Did you know it was also, they didn't speak to women. Rabbis didn't speak to women, especially in public. So Jesus broke that norm. She knew she was accepted. I've got some great news for you. Jesus accepts you. You don't have to prove yourself to him. All you have to do is humble yourself to him. He accepts you. And then she, and I've already mentioned her action here. She put herself in a position to listen to Jesus. I know that you're here today, and I commend you for being here today, not just because you're listening to me, but because you've come in here to be with God's people and to honor the Lord and to worship him. And it's just, it's just awesome to be with other God's people. And Mary put herself in a position to listen to Jesus. But so many people today are like the older couple who retired and they took some of their savings and they bought the finest motor home that money could buy. This was years ago when they were first really getting fancy. And one of the features on this motor home that was new at that time was cruise control. They thought it was awesome. They're going up the West Coast. The man's driving, cruise control. He gets tired, asks his wife to drive, said, I want to take a nap in the back. She gets in and drives. She's driving. And she's driving. She's been driving an hour with that cruise control, just straight up the West Coast. Then she gets up to go to the bathroom. <laughs> this is a true story. I'm not making this up. It's not a joke. Fortunately, they were not hurt. But she told the highway patrol after the accident, she thought cruise control was the same as automatic pilot. Actually, I also read of a guy in Oklahoma, right after Winnie Bago, Winnie Bago, the motorhome company, they, they didn't put in the manual that cruise control was not autopilot or whatever. <laughs> and... And he did the same thing, and he sued Winnebago, $1.7 million, and now they put it in the manual. <laughs> Have you ever noticed on some of these products you buy, some of the instructions, do not do this? And I'm going, who did that in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> they put on a Superman costume, this will not let you fly. Now, I understand a child might try it if they've seen it on television, but, but sometimes just look at the warning labels and you're going to go, somebody that should be taken out of the gene pool must have tried this. <laughs> that was ugly, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I just got the look from my wife. So many people put their life on cruise control. They're just cruising through life, and they never stop and listen to Jesus. They never read his word. They don't ever pray. And they probably think, well, you know, I can't do it like some people do. I remember hearing stories about pastors who would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and pray for two hours. That is not me. <laughs> and I used to beat myself up over it. But, you know, whatever works for you, the good things in life, family and job and community service and good works, they can begin to choke out the life in us because 
we get so busy, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, you seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. So what is the life point here? The point is life becomes focused and favorable at the feet of Jesus. Now, there's one more example in this account, and I'll, I'll quickly go. It's what I call a peaceful life, a life with the Lord. You see, Mary opened her home to Jesus to do her best to be a good hostess, but Mary opened her heart to Jesus and tried her best just to spend time with Him. Too often, we're more like Martha than we are Mary. We, in our zeal to serve the Lord, we wind up ignoring Him. Martha labored. Mary listened what happens when you draw near to the Lord? You're not going to hear an audible voice. I've never heard an audible voice of the Lord, but I know when the Lord is speaking to my heart. I just know. I, I can't explain it other than I just can tell the Holy Spirit has prompted me to do something. It's never contrary to God's Word. It's what He wants me to do. But what happens when you draw near to the Lord? First of all, you begin to forget your cares. You, you don't focus on them. When we come into his presence, whether it's in Bible study or worship or prayer, the burdens of life tend to grow amazingly light. It would do you well to spend a little time focusing on the Lord. Listen to what Paul wrote the Philippians. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true and noble and just and pure, whatever things are lovely and of good report, if there's any virtue, and there will be, and if there's anything praiseworthy, and there will be, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. Spend a little time focused on the Lord. Get up about five minutes early and do your thing, and then spend a little time with the Lord. You will focus on Him, and you'll be amazed at how your cares won't be as great as they were. You remember who you am. I am because the great I am tells me who I am. I'm in His hands. I'm His child. Focusing on Jesus will also feed our souls. Mary was worried about physical nourishment. Mary was more concerned with getting her soul fed. In his presence, we'll find food for our souls and strength for our journey. It's no wonder many Christians are weak and lacking in their spiritual vitality. They never feed their soul. You need some soul food. And you know what I'm talking about. You need some food that will... Like Job said in Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, I will tell you, if Baptists can do one thing, they can eat physical food. But sometimes we focus more on that than we do the soul food. It's an old Story about two men who were chopping wood in the forest using the axe. They didn't have chainsaws. This was a long time ago. One man started 
early, and he worked all day without stopping. Another man started, but every hour he would take a few minutes and rest. At the end of the day, the man who had taken a few minutes to rest every hour had chopped and stacked twice as much wood as the man who never stopped. And the man who never stopped came and asked him, I don't understand this. I never took a break. I chopped all day. And yet you rested a little bit every hour and you've got twice as much to show. And the man said, what you don't realize is that every time I stopped, I sharpened my axe. We run through life going like a house of fire. And we wonder why we run out of gas. We wonder why we begin to dry up on the vine. When you come to the feet of Jesus, you focus on your own priorities, on our priorities. You see, Martha was concerned about preparing the meal. Mary was more concerned about being in the presence of the Lord. It's easy to do. Churches can do it. You want proof? Go to Revelation chapter 2. There's a church there that has all the activities you can imagine. They have, they have all kinds of wonderful things going on. They are a church that's going, and yet Jesus said, you've lost your first love. You're just going through the motions. The church at Ephesus. You see, the larger Jesus gets in our eyes, the smaller other things seem to become. And the Lord gave us the statement. And actually, when he tells, listen to this. I didn't write this down for you. The, the Lord makes some statements in the, when he talks to Mary. He said, first of all, there's the principle of decision. Mary has chosen what is good. Who makes the decisions in your life? You do. And let me ask you this question. Is it easier at the end of the day to watch TV than it is to read your Bible? Or when you get up in the morning and you clean up and you're all ready to go and eat breakfast, it's, it's easy to say, you know, I really don't have time this morning. I've got to get on to work. Or it's a lot easier to relax with a newspaper than it is to read your Bible. Or easier to get up in the morning and tell the Lord what you're going to do instead of asking Him what you, He wants you to do. It's your decision. You decide to do it. But then, there's also the principle of discrimination. He says, you have chosen the good part. What is the enemy of the excellent? It's not the bad. We don't have to choose between what is excellent or bad. We have to choose what is good or excellent. Because there's a lot of good things that can keep us from spending time with the Lord. That's why Paul prayed with the, for the Philippians in chapter 1 when he said, I pray that you will approve the things that are excellent. Let's face it, we all do good stuff. If there's anybody that battles this, it's me. Because as soon as I get home on Sunday afternoon and when I wake up from a nap, I'm thinking, i got to get ready for next Sunday. And then I have a deadline to turn it in so that you'll have some blanks to fill in and so that you'll halfway listen every now and then. And I've got to get that in on time. And then you put Wednesday night on that. If there's anybody, and I'm not setting myself up as a perfect example, but if I don't decide 
to do it and discriminate to the fact that, you know what, this is the excellent thing. I need to read the Bible for myself and to pray. Jesus said, Martha, he didn't say it this way, but this is what he meant. He said, Martha, I'm going to survive if I don't eat the meal you've prepared, but you're not going to survive if you don't let me feed you. You see, so many successful Christians die on the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. And if you don't connect to the vine, you'll dry up. And the third principle is duration. He said, what she has done is the best, and it will not be taken from her. The last thing is, when you come to Jesus, you find yourself. She found fulfillment and contentment. And money cannot buy that. The most important thing in life was the fact that she knew who she was. And Martha did too. Martha was a follower of Jesus. But there are billions of people looking for fulfillment and contentment and peace. They look in religion they look in money. They look in the government. They look for circumstances and pleasure and all you name it. They've tried it all. Ask Solomon. He tried it all. But the only thing that will bring contentment in your life is when you know Christ. And the point is, life becomes faithful and firm, solid, when you fellowship with Jesus. Religion won't do that for you. And if you don't know Jesus today, let me tell you, we're not here advocating religion. I don't want you to join Southcrest. I want you to join Jesus. Then he'll put you in Southcrest or someplace. He'll put you, he'll put you someplace. Would you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 